0: Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Welcome, everyone, to our MotorWeek podcast number 15. I'm John Davis, and joining me around the table in Studio C today, our reporter, Yolanda Vasquez.
1: Hello there, hola. I was hola. going to say, you say hello. <laughs> <laughs> hola.
0: Now, Yolanda's going to be talking with us uh, about uh, one of the cars that we're going to be discussing today, and she'll be joined by our road test producer, Brian Robinson. Hello. And our associate producer and jack-of-all-trades, Ben Davis. Good to be back. And we're going to do a lightning round at the end of the podcast, and we also will take a viewer question. But let's get going with uh, some of the latest vehicles that we've been testing on MotorWeek. A really cool vehicle that's caught a lot of attention very quickly and some early awards and i have to admit i've kind of fallen in love with it myself the kia soul ben what
2: do you very think cool about car it? indeed uh when i first saw it in the parking lot i was a little skeptical um it did grow on me however it what does is, it look like it is quite cute well it's uh it, much in line with this uh cyan xb it's the latest in the new uh square uh offerings but rounded <laughs> rounded here and there a modernized uh, square of a car uh, it's very popular these days, of course. Um, tons of uh, tons of cargo room, uh, plenty of comfort, uh, incredible fuel economy. Mm. Anyway, when I first saw it, um, I was skeptical, and then it did grow on me. Did you like the interior? That's gotten a lot of note. The dash is, uh, at first sight, I thought it was a little Ferrari Enzo-esque. Oh. Uh, the materials are much better looking than they actually are. It's a really well done dash. Gaps are really tight. Has like a kind of like a boogie board type shape. It puts uh, a lot of flavor into a um into a an otherwise Dull class of, of vehicle, I guess. And you can get the speakers that light yeah, up. I mean, yes. it's got things yeah.
0: that I would have never dreamed of putting in a car. I thought the interior was really nice. Yeah. The uh, Did you have a chance to drive it?
1: You know, I did. And um, I spent so much time, I went and got my iPod. And by the way, I think it has a great iPod connectivity interface, the way that it's set up. And I put it in, and the flashing speakers just, I mean, you got me a go. <laughs> and I was in that car jamming. the photographer, Dave Hunter, will, will tell you, he's like, Yoli, get out of the car now. We've got to shoot it. I, I was jamming in that ride. I really liked
0: it. <laughs> You know, we had a chance to, to drive them around South Beach in Florida, and I have to say it oh, turned places. a lot of heads, oh, yeah, you know, because you looked at it and say it doesn't take up a lot of space, gets good gas mileage, it's cute. It's got kind of a masky kind of scowly face, but overall it's pretty cute. And I think and it's the best quality Kia interior we've ever seen. And uh, the warranty is amazing. Yeah, you know, 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain, so I think they've got a real winner.
1: The commercial with the hamsters that we see. That is just hysterical. <laughs> what great marketing. <laughs> yeah,
0: if you haven't seen that, basically it opens up with everybody, all the hamsters in a cage like they're going nowhere, and then right. the, the cool hamsters <laughs> drive up in the soul. And they had uh, 26 of them, I think, at the New York Auto Show roaming the streets of Manhattan clogging up and getting... souls or hamsters? Uh, yeah. uh, oh, very good. <laughs> no, uh, I actually, was Actually, they were, they were souls, but they may have been driven by <laughs> large mm-hmm. hamsters. I'm not really sure, but uh, all the taxicab guys were... Um, And the ladies were honking at him to get out of the way. But pretty cool ad.
1: Yeah. Do you think it's going to compete with the Scion, or is it? It's
0: going to compete with the Scion. It'll compete with the new Nissan Cube, which comes out.
2: uh, Honda Elements. And Honda Fit, too, maybe. Could be. To attract some of those customers. Yeah. Lots of room on the inside. Very good.
0: Moving on to our second car, another small people mover that's been around a while, but's gotten freshened, and uh, we're, we've got a road test coming up, the Mazda 5. Brian? The Mazda,
3: Mazda 5, yes. Uh, small people mover. It's kind of, it's a real minivan to me. Uh, you think of the Grand Caravan or Honda Odyssey, there's really nothing mini about them. They're huge, but this is a small Almost a half-sized Grand Caravan minivan. It's got the sliding doors. Which Just guess, like a mini regular yeah, minivan. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it's considered a small wagon, I guess, by the EPA, but it does have the sliding doors, which makes it nice. I guess it's for uh, young, active lifestyle buyers that we all hear about all the time that need lots of room.
0: Now, it'll sit. It's got three rows of seats. It's got three rows. So it'll sit six
3: people, sort of? Yeah. Well, third row is only for very small children or people that don't believe in comfort but the second row <laughs> i don't believe in comfort <laughs> the, the second row on four is, uh captain's chairs only which to me that's kind of a, a kind of a miss just it's nice to have a bench if you want five people then you know you don't necessarily have to put someone in the rear but it's only two seats in the center
0: what I thought was cool about this, he says, they do slide forward and back, right. and they recline, yeah. right? So that so the legroom wasn't really a problem. Yeah. As far as crossovers go, uh, I mean, I love the
3: sliding doors, especially, and some of these crossovers, the rear doors are really big. And when you've got kids that are still mastering the art of opening a door <sighs> carefully, I can't you tell sl- you how. Yeah, sliding
2: how doors great are awesome. Sliding doors so. are in that situation.
3: It's been out for a while, like you say, but you hardly ever see them. I'm not, uh, I don't know if people uh, have seen many of them around or not, but they're out there. They're, the Styling is kind of uh, similar to the Lumina APVs. You remember, like the Oh, mustard. the Anteaters. <laughs> the anteaters. Uh, it's similar to that, but obviously a little nicer looking. I think it's much better that. looking than that. Right. It's got a uh, 2.3 liter four cylinder, and uh, it's, it's fine scooting around town. It's pretty fun to drive. When you get loading it up with some people,
0: And some cargo, it can be a little underpowered, but uh, daily driving. Yeah, it was a little pokey at the track. But I recommend it to a lot of folks that are looking at things like uh, Elements and RAV4s and say, you know, here's something you may not have thought of, and it's a little sportier, and it's got uh, V-rated street tires on it. So it's got, you know, it's got some of the pretense of the Mazda Zoom Zoom that they spend so much time talking about. Yeah, it's not,
3: uh, like, top-heavy at all as you're expecting with, you know, like a normal minivan.
0: Really cool. Thanks, Brian. Yolanda, welcome, a, a vehicle that just about anybody, especially you, I'm, I would say, but anybody would look great in this vehicle—the Infiniti G convertible. Get one. You know, they're, they're, <laughs> it is a beautiful piece of work.
1: It really is. I mean, I, I haven't met a convertible that I that I haven't liked ever in my life, um, and I would say that this is a good addition to the Infiniti lineup. I mean, it really goes in line with their "Inspired Performance" tagline, which is huge for Infiniti, and they've done some really nice stuff with it. I mean, tremendous performance beautiful style and value. It's the same engine that powers the other G products. It's a good four-season car, although I don't know if they've been up to Maryland in the cold or other places (laughs) in Minneapolis, so I think it's really more of a warm-weather car in my opinion. So
0: it's a Florida car.
1: I think so, or (laughs) a California car. You know, I was in L.A. for this press event, and I just they need to put a sign up that says, Welcome to Infinity Land. I mean, every third or fourth car Hmm. in L.A. is an Infinity. It, It just really is. So I think this will work well on the East Coast, too. But Infinity reps talked extensively about how when the convertible was up, it, you couldn't tell that it was a convertible, the hardtop convertible. And they had this unique clamshell stack design that, that's a little bit different. So they kept pressing and pressing about how it looks like a coupe. It looks like a coupe. It doesn't look like a convertible. I don't see where that mattered too much to me, but that seemed to be a, a big deal. It's a big
0: thing with a lot of the new hardtop convertibles that they the- – Folks that own them want to give the impression that they basically have the sportier hardtop model. So they've gone to this enormous pains to make sure the profile is the same. It it does seem to be marketing. I guess it must have shown up as some important in some study group.
1: Absolutely. But when
0: the top's down, there's a a downside to all these hardtop convertibles. There
1: there is a drawback. I mean, you have two cubic... You know, two cubic feet of cargo space. Two. And two. Versus
0: one, 14 two. or 15 in a lot of cars. Yes.
1: And, you know, Infinity seems to believe that people are willing to compromise on that for the style and performance of the vehicle. I, I beg to differ. Um, and, and the whole idea is that this is kind of a weekend runabout car. This is something that you would take to go on a, you know, one gallon or whatever, a few-gallon tank trip, versus something that you would drive each and every day. So and throw the
0: bags in the back seat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, two, I mean, have you seen what oh, yeah. two, it's, you know, it's cubic too small cargo space looks bags. like? It's two small If even. I mean, yeah. it's really, really tiny. And we did notice a little bit of sluggish performance. I think I men- mentioned this a little in the acceleration mm-hmm. on some of the hills mm-hmm. when we were in Mulholland Freeway. And I thought it was just on steep inclines, but it really seemed to have a difficult time keeping up. Well, they
0: um, added a lot of weight to the car.
1: Yeah, and that, that could be part of the f- reason. To strengthen
0: it. It's like 400-plus pounds, so uh, it's pretty heavy. Yeah,
1: that could be part of it. I think pricing is going to make or break this vehicle.
0: When the top was down, though, a lot of these hard top convertibles, because the top takes up so room, they look almost like they've got a bustle back in their mm. rear. What it did the car do you look as good with the top down as it did top up Yes Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes, it did.
0: I think they did a nice job. I think
1: they did a fantastic job. And pricing. I mean, you know, they were talking about, what, mid-40s, low-40s for Mm -hmm. this vehicle, perhaps, when the pricing comes out. You know, that may be difficult, because then I start thinking, well, for that price, I could get a BMW 3 Series or an Audi A4. Which would I prefer? So pricing, I think, is going to be big on this Infiniti G37. But it was a nice, smooth ride. Oh, and I've got to tell you, one last thing was about their Bose sound system. They've got 13 speakers that come around, four of which are stuck in the head restraint. So there is nothing... Nothing like jamming out to your favorite song in a drop top down in L.A. Let me tell you right now. I
0: think this lady liked the car. She liked L.A. I
1: did. I love L.A.
0: How did Vanilla Ice sound today? that?
1: (laughs) Ice, ice, baby.
0: Thanks. You are welcome. Thank you, Londa. Thanks, Ben, for the little side comment there. Okay. Now... We started this uh, on our previous podcast. We're going to give it another crack, and uh, we've all got the wax out of our ears so we can hear the bell. This is called our lightning round. We've got two minutes to kind of do a free-for-all on an automotive topic that I'm going to throw out in just a second. And then, uh, as we did last time uh, with Michelle uh, Parker, our producer, when she rings the bell, I guess we will try and be good little boys and girls, Michelle, and, and not ignore you over there. That's, can't ignore that. Okay, here's, here's the deal. Electric cars. Everybody's talking about them. We're seeing them at the auto shows, all this promise. Fad, or is there really electric propulsion in our automotive future? And I mean, you know, within the next three or four years. Who wants to start? Um, Brian? Yeah, I wouldn't say three or four years, but it's,
3: uh, it's inevitable that we're going to get there eventually, I think. Why? Um... Customers want it. Yeah, we can't burn fuel forever. You know, we started out on steam, went to gas, and it's time to move on to something else.
0: What about the whole idea of, of battery anxiety, people being afraid that they'll get in their electric car and run out of juice?
1: Well, there's no doubt that battery power and, and the efficiency of battery power is a key issue when it comes to EVs. That and also mile range. I mean, you know, each car wants to do this one-upsmanship of, oh, I can do 40-mile range. I can do this. I can do that. And then it's like, well, can you deliver the goods? I mean, in, in all honesty, what is it? The majority of motorists, what, travel, what, 60 miles?
0: Less than that, Less 40. Than
1: 40 miles, what, mm, a day? Round so, trip a day. Round trip a day. So, I mean, how much where, mile range do you getting, really need?
0: That's where they're getting this. 40-mile range for like the Volt and some of the Toyota plug-in hybrids, but can you see people giving up gasoline or diesel-powered cars
2: totally, or is this just (laughs) going to be a commuter cart? Ben? Uh, That's where I want to chime in. (laughs) Um, uh, There's uh, going to be a market for it, obviously, but for somebody like me who's a true purist, uh, like many other people here at this table... Until the uh, electric car can offer the same uh, back road thrills as, say, a Miata Roadster, uh, I, I won't be a buyer. Uh, th- that might be ten, fifteen years down the road when that finally the purest, uh, purest feel and battery merge. Mm-hmm. Until then, though,
0: but you know, we at our house we have uh, a subcompact that we use for most of our runnings of errands where you're not going to carry something big home and we probably go, you know, into town and back and do about 25 miles, maybe 30 on a on a really unusual trip. And you're thinking, why couldn't this be electric if it can be affordable? And I think sure. that's on big
2: a big question. Second or third car status you mean? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: And uh, of course a lot of people say, well, one more one more they comment. Say? Oh, they say, them. you know, what are you going to do when you get to work? Where are you going to plug it in? Well, I think that's going to open up a whole new entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah. Uh Infrastructure is a big thing, but I think a lot of car manufacturers are pinning their hopes on EVs, and they're here to come, and they will be staying soon, soon enough. I believe that. Not
3: too much. It's going to take some entrepreneurs. I mean, basically, these car designers are kind of stuck in the same, doing the same thing over and over again, or trying to figure out how we can adapt electricity to the cars we have. I mean, I think it's going to take someone, to get it affordable, and something that everyone wants to buy, it's going to take someone thinking outside of the box and coming up with something that everyone wants to have, like an, you know, something like an iPod, something that's just totally out there, and everyone's. Like, I gotta have that. That's what it's gonna take.
0: That's a that's a good point. I also think that this idea that's been floating around about electric companies actually leasing you the batteries so that you can lower the cost of the vehicle, you know, there's gonna be some government incentives, but To get the price of the vehicle down to uh, where a typical gas car is, you don't have to buy these batteries. They could be leased and they could be recycled. You know, you would think maybe somebody ought to be looking into that, and I guess probably maybe somebody is. All right. All right. I
1: was going to ask you about Mm -hmm. the Chevrolet Volt. What's the status on
0: that? Uh, Volt is uh, 18 months from now or less, uh, you know, the end of 2010. uh, It will be in production. The one thing GM says that they are not scrimping on is development. Uh, There is, they're building, I've forgotten what. Whether it's 10 I think it's 10 drivable prototypes right now that the press will be allowed to drive later this year and they will be they will look like real cars, they won't be mules. Okay. Uh, and so it looks like that's full steam ahead. The question there is, of course, even with government subsidies, can they sell it at a, a reasonable price? And I guess the uh, government task force has concluded it will still be expensive. But it's new technology, and even if it is $40,000 to start, it'll be just like the, the first hybrids. They'll be expensive, and the price will come down uh, as they develop the technology. And that ex- it's an extended-range hybrid, we should tell everybody. It has uh, the 40-mile range just on electric, but then you can go up to 600 miles with a small gas engine that will keep the battery. Recharged, and that's that very much is what we're talking about when we're talking about perhaps the future of electric cars pure electric for running around town, but these extended electrics that still have some kind of a generator, whether it's gas, diesel, or, or even a fuel cell to keep the batteries charged for long trips. Okay, we started this other feature new on our last podcast that we're going to continue, and uh, that is we're going to answer a viewer question. Now, if you've got a viewer question or have you a question? Listen to me. We're, we're this is audio. If you've got a. Audio question that for our podcast, or if you want to suggest a topic for our lightning round, you can go to our website www.motorweek.org, or go to pbs.org/motorweek and submit your question for either the podcast um, lightning round or for uh, the chance to win a MotorWeek t-shirt. Tada! Mm-hmm. Which is the question we've got now. We've got a question from Jim. He wasn't. Uh, he didn't give us his address, so we may have a hard time. Uh, I guess we've got his email address, so we can we can I'm get sure in touch listening. with him. I'm sure he's listening too. Okay, here's the question from Jim: Would you answer or discuss? This is a Pat Goss question. What is variable valve timing? Would you please explain how it works and the advantages of VVT? I'm not sure we have a long enough program, but who wants to take a crack at that? Well, you're the rocket scientist. Maybe you oh, should about no, no. that first. <laughs> All right. Well, in a nutshell, Jim, variable valve timing is a system where, in many vehicles, the intake and exhaust valves, sometimes it's just one or the other, open and close at different rates depending on how you're driving the car. The idea behind it is to increase airflow when you're at low RPMs to get a better burn of the fuel and lower emissions, and to control. Control the airflow into the cylinders at higher RPM so you can get uh, maximum performance and, again, better pr- fuel economy. So the big thing you get out of variable valve timing is cleaner burns, a bit more power, and a bit more fuel economy. I think I got that right. Anybody else have that? Yeah, that's a lot more than what I got. But your variable (laughs) valve timing has now become very common. Uh, It started uh, slowly. Uh, You can probably look at uh, Honda probably being the promoter of it more than anything else. It came from racing. Uh, The valves are usually controlled by a combination of electronic and hydraulic uh, controls. And uh, the big problem with internal combustion engines is... um, They often basically don't breathe very well at low RPMs, and they breathe too well at high RPMs, and this controls it. I think we got that right. I'm not sure that's the engineering parlance, but, Jim, we hope that uh, helps answer your question. Okay, I guess that about wraps up our MotorWeek podcast number 15. Thanks to everybody in the studio, Ben Davis, Brian Robinson, and Yolanda Voskis. Thanks very much, folks, for all your comments. And I want to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, our podcast creator, Bob Mixter, and over on the bell, our producer, Michelle Parker. And that's cute, Michelle. Thank you for listening to our MotorWeek podcast, and we hope you'll join us again soon for more MotorWeek. You have been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Cars.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our
2: website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.